Life Audio. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? Or have you been in a season where it feels like He's completely silent? Have you been praying for a way to learn how to hear His voice more clearly? Hey friends, I'm Rachel, host of the Hearing Jesus Podcast. If you are ready to grow in your faith and to confidently step into your identity in Christ, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. Today we are going through Matthew chapter 10 and we're about almost towards the end. We're going to be in verses 24 through the end of the chapter. And if you're just joining us, we've been going through an introduction to the gospel series where we are going through the book of Matthew and just going as far as I feel led as we kind of break down some of the foundational concepts of Jesus and the way that he is teaching the disciples If you were just joining us, I would encourage you to go back to the beginning of this series. It started last month because I think that'll give you a better understanding of where we're at right now. And then as always, we have some additional resources to help you dive a little bit deeper. On our Patreon, we have journaling prompts that go along with each day's episode, as well as family discussion guides. And then we also do spiritual direction and life coaching if you want to just dive a little bit deeper. You can find information about all of that on our website at shehears.org. And so I'm reading from Matthew chapter 10, starting at verse 24. It says, students are not greater than their teacher and slaves are not greater than their master. Students are to be like their teacher and slaves are to be like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the member of my household will be called by even worse names. But don't be afraid of those who threaten you, for the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. Do not be afraid of those who want to kill your body, for they cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Anyone who receives you receives me, and anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. If you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you will be given the same reward as a prophet. And if you receive righteous people because of their righteousness, you will be given a reward like theirs. And if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. Now, that's a longer passage than what we typically do, but I think there's a lot that just works really well together. And I think a lot of it is self-explanatory. We don't have to go into a lot of detail, but there are a couple things that I want to point out just to make sure that you're aware of. 
I want you to realize that beyond the persecution that the disciples are getting ready to face just by the very nature of sharing this gospel message, they lived in a time where there was a lot of persecution in general. And like most early Christians or even the zealous Christians in many parts of the world today, the readers of the book of Matthew faced persecution. And there was often a lot of dangers just as part of their daily life. And so these words of Jesus would have been a great comfort to them. The thing that it starts off with saying, and I just want to point out, is this idea of slavery. And I think sometimes people take this out of context and they say that, you know, they can't follow Jesus because Jesus was a support in support of slavery. And that's not at all what is happening here. Slavery was a common social structure in the ancient world. At the time of the Roman Emperor Augustus, about one third of the inhabitants of Italy were slaves. It was just part of the ancient world. And so, you know, what happens is often we get so caught up in this verbiage around slavery, which is not Jesus endorsing slavery. He isn't for slavery, just like he isn't for poverty. Even though he comments a lot on poverty, he's not for those living in poverty to stay that way. In fact, the scriptures say when it comes to slavery that Jesus came to set the captives free. So he's using an example that is common to the people that he was speaking to at the time. You have to remember, while scripture was written for us, it was not originally written to us. He was writing, Matthew was writing to this ancient people group that existed in this world where there was a lot of slavery. And so what I want to encourage you is to not miss the point here. The point is not about slavery. The point is that Jesus himself is being hated, which means his disciples are going to be hated as well. And he's trying to prepare them for that fact. He's talking about the close relationship patterns between slaves and masters and then, of course, students and teachers. So don't get off track with that. The disciples were to serve their teachers. That was what the disciple-rabbi relationship was like. And the hope there was that ultimately they themselves would become master teachers. And so they always owe respect to the teacher regardless of what status they're in. And then also in the same way, a slave could attain the status of the owner and the master under rare circumstances, if they were owned by a free person, they could get eventually this equal status after they themselves become free and they attain wealth. And so in both ways, what he's likening it to is this goal that the subservient person would have to obtain by the leader person. And so what he's essentially doing is he's saying, look, I am the master I'm the master teacher and I'm in this role and they hate me. And if they hate me, they're going to hate you. I think sometimes we forget that as believers, when we are sharing the gospel, there are going to be some people that are not receptive to the gospel message. In fact, not only are they not receptive, they're going to hate us because of it. The, the fact of the matter is, is that the enemy, scripture says he's prowling around like a lion. He hates us. He wants to devour us. And he has agents on this earth that are going to have that same opinion of us. But there's good news. Down to verse 26, it talks about not being afraid. And actually, there are three times in this part of this discourse, this mission discourse, where Jesus tells the disciples not to be afraid in verse 26, verse 28, and verse 31. And it's understandable why, because there will be betrayal. 
There will be persecution. There will be mistreatment. Jesus has been predicting this. He's experiencing this and he's telling the disciples, you are going to experience this as well, but don't be afraid. And they can be confident in what they're being called to do because if even worst case scenario, if they are persecuted to the point of death, they can only be killed in the body, not the soul. And so they can walk with boldness because they are so valued by God the Father. And there is this eternal security that they have where what happens on this earth isn't going to matter. What matters is their relationship with God. And, and honestly, what he's saying is God is the only one who can destroy permanently, eternally. And so instead of fearing those that are standing right there against Jesus or and against their own mission, the disciples can have instead this appropriate fear and reverence for God because he is the one who ultimately has power over their future, their eternal future. And so they can recognize that he is the one that has this ultimate authority and he cares for them to such an extent that even the hairs, the number of hairs on their head are numbered. I want to point out this language around the sparrows down in verse 29. It starts talking about the sparrows. And, you know, I think we all have some knowledge of the fact that, okay, if God even cares about the the birds of the air, he is going to care about us. But the sparrows were unique. They were one of the cheapest items that were sold for the food for poor people in the marketplace. And they were sold for a small copper coin that had very, very little value. It was less than the 16th of a denarius, which means it was less than an hour's wages. And later in Luke, he indicates that these birds were even cheaper if they were purchased in larger quantities. And so some of the Jewish traditions were preserved by recognizing that God had sovereignty even over the birds, which is, you know, they're considered inconsequential. They're considered, you know, there's a, they're a dime a dozen. It's, it's essentially that same concept of there's so little value monetarily and there's so little value in their culture, but yet even those sparrows God cares for. And if he does that for even something as invaluable as a sparrow, how much more, that's a common argument in that Jewish culture, how much more will God care for people? And so also that idea of not even one hair on your head falling, that was a familiar biblical promise of protection. We see that in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, we see it in Acts. And it's basically this invitation to trust that God is going to not just care for them, but he has the ability to protect them in this mission. And then down in verse 32, there's a shift that happens. So up until this point, Jesus has been giving directions directly to the disciples, and it is for this mission that they're getting ready to do. But now the shift happens and we move from this you language, meaning the disciples, he's addressing the disciples, to this whoever or anyone language. And that's signifying this transition where he's now talking to this larger audience of Matthew's readers, the general audience, which includes you and me. And so in verse 35, it starts talking about these family relationships and it talks about, you know, people being pit against their own household. And what that's doing is it's referring back to the Old Testament book of Micah, Micah 7, 6, where it's illustrating this proverbial saying where he says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
Now, is Jesus advocating violence? Absolutely not. You have to remember there's different kinds of language throughout the gospel message. And so this is an allegory where he's talking in basically in terms of a proverb. And in terms of genre, the proverbs are generally true in most situations. And what Matthew is doing is he's using this proverb about swords. He uses it here and then he uses it later on in his gospel as well. And, and later, Jesus reprimands one of his followers for using a sword. So we know that it's not talking about physically using a sword. What instead he's doing is he's talking about a division that is going to happen in sometimes even in families because if the most important relationship is Jesus, not everybody in the family is going to be on the same page sometimes. Sometimes what happens is there is a natural division between mother and daughter, son and daughter, son and mother, mother-in-law, father-in-law. They say that because a lot of times the family unit lived together as a structure. So the in-laws would be part of the same family structure within the same house as the sons and daughters and their, you know, their whoever they got married to. And so what he's doing is he's talking about how there will be a division if you are living the way you're called to live, because not everybody is going to be receptive to this message that he's sending them out with. I think that's really important because I think sometimes we have an expectation within the body of Christ that as long as we are just, you know, being good people and we're, we're trying to do what God wants us to do, that we're just going to have peace in every single situation. And while we can have internal peace, that doesn't necessarily mean that all of those relationships are going to be peaceful. Sometimes there's a sword that, that draws a line and there's a division because our call is to follow God and whatever he has called us to do. And that is the primary relationship that we need to care the most about. It needs to take precedence over our family relationships. And let's be honest, that was shocking to hear for that first century Jewish audience because the way that they valued family in that culture, that family structure in the Jewish society, this was a countercultural teaching that Jesus was giving them because they had family obligations and loyalties that were the highest importance in their culture and in their society. So when he's saying, look, when you follow me and you start sharing this message, this gospel kingdom righteousness message, there is going to be conflict. We can expect that there will be family conflict, even within these structures that you hold so near and dear to your heart. We see this reinforced later when he's talking about carrying your cross and this idea of what that actually means. You know, to carry your cross the At the time, I think we tend to think of just Jesus as the one that was on the cross, but that was a Roman punishment that was very, very harsh that the first century Jews would have been aware of. They know what it means to have to carry your cross, and it was a very brutal crucifixion, was a very brutal way to, to lose your life. And what he's saying is you have to count Jesus and the kingdom as the highest priority even ahead of your own family and sometimes your own life. And so again, this was countercultural because that would have been against anything that they would have understood as part of this Jewish society. And so if we go down to verse 40 and he's talking about this idea of making sure that we are spreading this gospel message, this good news of the gospel, and recognizing that there could be a cost to following Jesus, including losing your life. He, he's reinforcing this idea of this mission that they've been called to. And so it intensifies to this point 
where he is helping them to recognize that as they are received well, it's the same as receiving Christ because they are going forth with his mission, with his anointing, with his calling, the the message that he has called them to share. He is the one that is sending them out. And then it goes on to talk about the little ones. And I just want to bring this up because I think sometimes we overlook even within our own the way that we offer it within the church today, I think sometimes we forget about this. This final group, and he's talking about the little ones, in a sense, this group does not seem to fit well with the prophets and the righteous ones that he's been talking about. But unlike these first two groups, these little ones are signaling a group that are not naturally esteemed in their society. If anything, they're considered the least of these in the society. And so when he's talking about these little ones, he's talking about children. He's seeming to refer to people that have little status and little value within the culture. And he is elevating them to a place of having status within the kingdom of God. And so when he's talking about a cup of water, remember that even a cup of water would have been a gift of hospitality that somebody that would have been the poorest person would have had access to and that availability to. And so that would symbolize being enough because that cold water is, of course, so refreshing on a hot day, especially if just the relief of a cup of cold water, It that, that reception, he's saying that that is enough, that it doesn't have to be fanfare. It doesn't have to be financial gain. It doesn't have to be you know, laying out the red carpet. Instead, look at the humble servant. Look at the least of these. Look at this cup of cold water and what that actually means because we're looking at the heart space. Remember, we've been talking about this heart posture of inner righteousness, not so much about what the religious leaders of the day would have, the robes and the the temple and all of the things that you might think would be a way to honor God, but yet inside their hearts were rotten. He's saying and said, look at the behavior, look at the heart posture, look at the intent that a cup of cold water from somebody that doesn't have much, look at what that says. And so as they are going out, he's trying to prepare them. This is going to be hard, but you don't have to be afraid. I'm the one that is sending you and look for the people that are going to be receptive to this message. I think the same holds true for us today. It's not that we're immediately going to be well received, but when we are, we can recognize that that is the person that God has called us to. So going back, I'm going to reread starting at verse 24. It says, students are not greater than their teacher and slaves are not greater than their master. Students are to be like their teacher and slaves are to be like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the members of my household will be called even worse names. But don't be afraid of those who threaten you, for the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when the daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. Don't be afraid to those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What is the price of two sparrows, one copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my father in heaven. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. 
I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Anyone who receives you receives me, and anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. If you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you will be given the same reward as a prophet. And if you receive righteous people because of their righteousness, you will be given a reward like theirs. And if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. Father God, we thank you for your word and the encouragement that we have to not be afraid. Three times you repeat that, do not be afraid when we face persecution. God, I pray that you would help us to live that out, that despite the either the hostility or the rejection we may get when we share the gospel news, God, that you would help us to not be afraid, but recognize that you've empowered and equipped us with that message. God, help us to be afraid of nothing other than you, of not being obedient to you, God, because you are the one that holds our life in your hands. God, I pray for a renewed sense of boldness in my friends today, that they would boldly proclaim this gospel message in a way that others around them would recognize that you have sent them. God, we thank you that you go before us, that we do not do this alone. We thank you and praise you in all things. Amen. Okay, friends, we'll talk tomorrow. Hey, friends, as we lean into a new month and we continue to learn and grow together, there's a couple resources I want to make sure you know about so you can take advantage of. The first is our Patreon page, and the link for that is in the show notes. And on the Patreon page, we have a couple things. We have a dedicated space that is for discussion, for asking questions. You get easy access to me where we talk about things. We hold each other accountable. There are resources that go with the show, like a journaling prompt worksheet download for every single adult show. We also have family discussion guides. And what's really been neat about those is that on the kids show every day, I talk about the same content that's on the adult show, just taught in a way that kids can understand. Then the family discussion guides create an environment for you to process that information with your children. You can use that at the dinner table or even as part of your devotional routine. There's some suggested prayer and activities and things to help you connect that content to the appropriate age for your children. So all of that is on the Patreon. Also, there's some prophetic words, extra videos, transcripts, all those kinds of things. The second is on our website. If you go to shehears.org, there's a shop resources page that has my Bible studies that I've written, links to different journaling Bibles, note-taking Bibles, all sorts of resources to help you grow. And then also on our website, we have the coaching section. If you are finding that you need some spiritual direction or life coaching, that is available for you as well. And that's really good to help you process what you're learning. If you're feeling stuck, if you need to work through something, if something just isn't sitting right, or if you want to teach this content and you need to help develop a plan, I'm available to help you do that as well. Again, all of these are resources to help you grow in your spiritual life and hear God's voice more clearly. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. 
Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you in your walk with God, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, bonus content, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Know that you are so loved. Keep going. Keep going.